Turn with me your Bibles to Jude, a little one chapter epistle just before you get to the book of Revelation. <clears throat> we, um, this was hymn sing Sunday. I told Christy, I, she and I both, we grew up on the hymns of the church. And uh, we, that's all we sing on Wednesday nights. If you want to get some more of that, <laughs> we do sing on Wednesday nights. We don't turn, we don't even turn the screens on. But I, um, I told them the last part of the year that I would love for us just to have one Sunday a month that we just designate to sing the hymns. And next time we'll try to be a little bit more. Um, we'll, we'll try to, to to turn you to the page numbers. We'll we'll, we'll let you know what page it's on. Cause I, you know what, I miss. Sometimes I think we all just turn off all the screens, and turn off the sound equipment. <laughs> And just go old school, just to remind us that we don't need any of that stuff. It's all wonderful. I love it. There's some benefits to it. But the church has gathered for many centuries and just lifted up their voices in praise. These old hymns, some of them are 200 plus years old, even 300 years old. And the meaning and the depth of them is still just as powerful as it was when they were written. So I'm grateful for them. That was a beautiful um, combination of songs there at the end and um, I hope that that will be all of our prayer that God would just draw us nearer and nearer to him every day of our lives I started this series of, a few weeks ago of course Ashley came and, and spoke last um, Sunday for us so you took a little break but there are two passages of scripture that almost seem to be in contradiction to one another and I, I've used them every, every time as kind of a jumping off point before we read the text Romans chapter 12 which is a practical application of the doctrine of salvation this is what Christ has done for us this is what we need to do for Christ and one of the things that Paul, Paul loves to give bullet lists. He loves to just say, do this, do this, do this, do this, because of what Christ has done for you, this is what you ought to do. And in that list, one of the things that he says in Romans chapter 12 is that if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, as much as you are able to do, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all men. So he calls us to be a peace-seeking and peace-loving people. Then you've got what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. He said, don't think that I'm come to send peace on earth. I didn't come to send peace, but a sword. And we know what the sword is. The sword is the word of God. Paul identified that. And so those look like they're almost contradictory in nature, but they're not. Paul said, as much as is possible, live at peace with all men. But at the same time, recognize this. According to what Jesus said, if we take a stand for truth, Sometimes it's going to interrupt the peace. We need to be peace-loving, peace-seeking people, but there are some things worth fighting for. We need to be peace-loving, peace-seeking people, but we don't need to do that at the expense of the truth. If, God, if I've got to abandon truth to have peace with you, then I'm going, to, I'm going to stand on the truth and not seek that peace. And so that's kind of what got, us, got me started on this subject um, uh, I'm calling this, the title of this series Contender. Um, Jude was uh, Jude and James, who wrote the, the book of James, were half-brothers. They were half-biological brothers, you might say, of Jesus. Um, they were latecomers as far as their faith in him. They were post-resurrection converts, um, realized that who Christ was, that their half-brother um, was the Messiah that God had promised. And they identified themselves as his servants, that they had been bought by him, they, they were bound to him, that they belonged to him, that he was their master, that he was their Lord, and that whatever he dictated to them, whatever he commanded them, that was what they intended to do. 
Jude said he's writing this to churches, not, not a particular church in general, but to all churches. In fact, he identified who he was writing to. He said, if you've been called by God to salvation, if you've been cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, then God cares for you, and God has made you capable of being his witness in the world that you live in. And he's writing to them about a situation that had that had sprung up in the church. Um, literally, he said, I'm begging you, I'm beseeching you, you need to deal with this. You need to uh, you 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 need to contend against this. It's an emergency. It's a nine one one. You need to pay attention to this. Um, and he specifically said, "I I want you to know that you have been called to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints." You might that can be in, that can be translated that was once for all time delivered to the saints, which means it was delivered once and it ain't ever going to change. Contend for the faith. What is the faith? It is everything that is concerned in this that, that this book has written to us about. Um, this book is who has identified the nature and character of God and has identified our purpose in this world to bring Him glory. And so when you talk about contending for the faith, it is, it is contending for the truth of the Word of God. That it is inspired by God, that it was breathed by God, that it is inerrant in anything that it is written about. Uh, that it is unchanging, immutable is the term. That it is altogether sufficient for us to know everything that we need to know about God and everything that God expects from us. Uh, it will equip us to do everything that God has equipped us to do. It is our authority for living. It is our authority for faith. And so Jude says, I want you to contend for that. And then he tells us the reason for contending. He calls us to that fight that is worth fighting. And then he tells us the first thing that we talked about um, week before last is that if we're going to contend for the faith, then we need to recognize who the opponents of this faith are. Identify the opponents. He called them ungodly, but he said they were in the church. He said they were ungodly, but they snuck into the church. They are, they are treasonous traitors who are working from the inside out. The word ungodly means destitute of reverence, which means they had no true respect for or duty towards God and his word. He gave us two clues to look for. They deny the authority of God to rule and reign over their lives. Now I need to, I need to make sure you understand this because the, the King James Version they said they deny the only Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That don't mean they deny that God exists. They're in the church. Listen, we're not going to let atheists be a part of the church. Um, they come into the church maybe even acknowledging God, maybe even acknowledging the deity of Christ, but they deny him his authority to rule and reign over their lives. That was the first clue that he said to look for. The second one is that they turn God's grace into a license to live in sin. Hyper grace, that because grace abounds, then sin can abound. Um, they turn grace into, the King James Version was, lasci was lasciviousness, which just means um, without restraint in regards to sin. Now, before I jump into the text this morning, <clears throat> when you talk about people who have crept into the church that deny the authority of God and use grace as a license sin, they hide out sometimes pretty well. They're not always easy to spot. When you have traitors, <clears throat> when you have a traitor in our nation, when you have somebody that is a citizen of the United States of America, but they have traitorous, treasonous intentions, 
they don't want to be discovered. So they're going to look as much like us as they can and talk as much like us as they can and act as much like us as I can while still accomplishing their purposes. So when you have treasonous traitors in the church, they're intentionally trying to hide out their underlying motives and reasons for being there. They're going to try to blend in as much as they can. They may call Jesus Lord. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, there are going to be people that stand before him on the day of judgment and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? And he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And other translation says, you lovers of lawlessness. That's that hyper grace, that grace is a license to sin. I never knew you. So you've got both of those things in that, that Jesus just said. People who call him Lord but deny his authority to rule their life, and instead they live according to the dictates of their own flesh. They live in sin. But these folks hide out. They'll call Jesus Lord. And they'll make grace. They'll talk about grace. They'll, they'll, they'll make much of grace, which we ought to do. I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace. But when you, make a, when you make so much of grace that you minimize the seriousness of sin, then you've crossed the line. Because when you minimize the seriousness of sin, you've also minimized the significance of the sacrifice that Christ made for sin. So because it's easy to fly those things under the radar, it's easy for people to call Jesus Lord but not submit to his authority over their life, it's easy to talk about grace and at the same time twist it and pervert it and use it as an excuse and a license to sin. So if, if, if we're going to recognize them, if, if we're going to know who our opponents, sometimes we've got to look beyond what people are saying, what, they, what they're speaking, and look a little deeper into their life. Look for the external evidence. And so that's where I think that, that Jude is going in, in the passage that we're, that we're going to read. And I, the title of this morning is Know Their M.O., Modus Operandi. You've you, you got to understand the ways that they do things in order to accomplish their de destructive purposes. When you understand their ways of doing things, then, then when you know their M.O., um, then you can identify them in the context of the church. So let's read Jude, beginning in verse 8. That's where we left off. I'm going to read down through verse 16, then we're going to skip a couple of verses and go to verse 19. Likewise also these filthy dreamers. He's still talking about these ungodly people that have crept into the church. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feast of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. 
raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth, speaking great swelling words, have men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Then go down to verse 19. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. So the first thing Jude does is cause these people filthy dreamers. Now I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But these are people who have dreamed up their own ungodly, filthy, religious ideas about God and about God's expectations for our lives. They didn't get this from God's word. They didn't get this from any understanding of God. They didn't get this from the spirit of God. They didn't get this from the word of God. They have dreamed up. They have concocted their own religious ideas about who the Christian God is and what he expects from us. They're dreamers. Now he gave three characteristics in verse 8 that I believe forms an outline for everything that I just read to you. There are three things that he, that he, that he pointed out in verse 8. He said they defile the flesh, they despise dominion, and they speak evil of dignities. And then I think he expounded on them almost in a, in a reverse order from what he gave them to us. They speak evil. That word, that word speak is literally, if you look it up in Strong's Concordance, it is blaspheme. They blaspheme. They speak evil. To blaspheme means to rail at, to revile against, to reproachfully address someone, to resist adamantly. That's what blaspheme means. When you talk about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, it is when you rail against the Spirit of God. It is when you speak evil against the Spirit of God. It is when you resist the Spirit of God. As he's trying to lead you into truth, you're standing against him. So, so here's what, this is what Jude said. These filthy dreamers, they speak evil. And he said specifically what they speak evil about. First of all, and I'm going to come back to this later on and, and expound on it a little more. But he said they speak evil of dignities. Some translations use the word, they speak evil of dignitaries. And uh, look that up, do a little bit of research on that word. It is literally, they speak evil of anyone who is in a position of true spiritual authority. When they find somebody in the church that is speaking from an authoritative position um, because of the calling that God has placed on their life and the giftings that God has placed in their life, they speak evil of dignitaries. And they gave a specific example of Michael the Archangel and Satan. So... This is somebody that would speak evil of dignitaries, whether those dignitaries are human or whether they're angelic. They speak evil of those that are in spiritual authority. Uh, there's probably a good reason behind that because it is easier sometimes to attack the messenger than it is the message. If you can discredit and vilify the messenger, then you have undermined the message that he Proclaimed. So before they attack the message, a lot of times, these filthy dreamers that have influenced the church, they come against the authority 
itself. They come against the pastor. They come against the teacher. They come against the ones that are in leadership in the church because when you can attack the authority figures in the church and discredit them or vilify them, then you undermine the message that they are proclaiming. Now, I think it's important. This is, this, I have a hard time with this sometimes, and I'm going to admit it. Um, it's important that we distinguish ourselves by doing exactly the opposite. Rather than attacking the messenger of the false doctrine, attack the false doctrine itself. Now, that, that sometimes is a hard line for me to walk. And I do believe there comes a time when you have to call people what they are. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus called, he, he, he called the Pharisees um, whitewashed tombs. He called them a generation of vipers. He called them children of hell. But that was after he distinguished the fact that their message was messed up. He, he only called them out to clearly identify these are the people that are preaching the things that are not true. He didn't attack them first. He gave them opportunity to hear the truth and respond to it many times before he came against them in Matthew chapter 23 with such strong language. He gave Michael as an illustration. I don't, have, I don't know exactly what that confrontation was about, but Moses' body was never found. There's a reason for that, I believe. God buried him on the mountains because the people of Israel would have probably worshipped the shrine of Moses. Um, but there was something about that body of Moses that the devil wanted it for some particular reason. And, um, and he and Michael apparently got in some kind of conflict about that. Um, but, but Michael did not rail against the devil in, in any kind of accusation. He just simply said, the Lord rebuke you. He didn't speak evil of the dignity or the dignitary or the authority. He just said, the Lord rebuke you. Michael didn't even use his own authority against him. He said, the Lord rebuke you. And, and that's important for me because when you see somebody that is, that is, that is despising or speaking evil of your authority as a child of God or as a minister or as a teacher, um, it's important that our rebuke of them and to them comes from the word of God itself. And when you proclaim, thus saith the Lord, it's not your rebuke, it's his rebuke. So they speak evil of dignitaries. They speak evil of people that are in a position of spiritual authority, whether that's a man or an angel. The second thing is, is they speak evil of things which they know not. That's in the text. You can follow me along. They speak evil of things which they know not. He specifically said their focus is on the natural realm because they can't understand the spiritual realm. Verse 19 made it clear that these are people who do not possess the Spirit of God. They don't know spiritual truth so they rail against it. Now listen. <clears throat> the Bible says a natural man receiving not things of the Spirit of God because they're spiritually discerned. Um, the new birth experience changes all that. But until we are born again, there's a lot of stuff about God and His Word that we're not going to understand. That we're not going to comprehend. That we're not going to receive or accept. And so Jude said, these people that have crept into the church don't really have a relationship with God. They don't have the Spirit of God. And so they're speaking from the perspective of their own natural senses. They, they, they will not and cannot receive spiritual truth because they are brute beasts. Now, there's some illustrations that he gave of that. He gave three Old Testament illustrations about who these people are like. Cain, 
Balaam and Korah. Now I don't have time to get into a lengthy discussion about all of these. But you go all the way back to the beginning of the book, Cain. What did Cain do? Cain devised his own way of worship. Cain devised his own way to worship God. Abel, Abel brought forth a sacrifice, a lamb, which was God's prescribed way of worship then. Cain brought forth the fruit of his own hands. What well, he had grown in the field out here. That was not God's prescribed way of worship. Cain came up with his own way of worship and got mad at the got mad at his brother because his brother was worshiping appropriately, and God rejected Cain's because it was not an appropriate form of worship. And Cain got mad and killed his brother. Same. This, this is what these. This is what Jude says. These people are like Cain. They are devising their own way of worship. And because they can't receive spiritual instruction, they despise those that are truly worshiping. He went on to say that they're like Balaam. Balaam was a prophet that a king hired to try to get him to, to curse the nation of Israel. And Balaam's like, I can't because God's blessed them. I can't curse what God's blessed and I can't bless what God's cursed. It don't work that way. But, but Balaam wanted the reward. He, he wanted the reward. He wanted the favor of that king. He wanted the money of that king. So Balaam said, I can't outright curse them. I can't pronounce a curse on them just because I want to or just because you want me to. But this is what I can do. I can entice them to sin. And when they sin against God, they curse themselves. And so he said, Jude said, these people are like Balaam. They encourage people in their sin so that they can receive the popularity of those people, the praise of those people in return. Now listen, if this ain't, this, this ain't ringing bells to you, then you ain't looking around at what's going on in our culture. There are, there are people that are out there trying to win a popularity contest. They're out there that want the world to love them. And so they're modifying the message. Um, they're, they're, they're devising their own form of, of worship, they're enticing people to live in sin, which goes back to that whole grace as a license to sin thing. And then, and then he said they're like Korah. Now you you have to go back and read all these stories to see the whole context of them. The first one is Cain is in Genesis, and the other two are in the Book of Numbers. But Korah basically got mad with Moses. He's like, "Who are you? Tell us what we need to do and what we, how we need to worship. And who are you and Aaron? You've taken too much upon yourself." Um, we can anybody can do what you're doing now, and Moses essentially begged him and said don't do this this is God's order this is God's way I'm, I'm the one that God has ordained to. I didn't want it either but God appointed me to it and equipped me to it and, and Aaron as my, as my priest and as my, don't do this Moses begged him but he said if you're adamant that you're going to do this then, then, then you do what you do and God's going to determine who's right and who's wrong and he literally submitted Korah and his followers to the test of God to see which one that God accepts. And so Korah and his followers got their censors and pretended to be priests. And you know what happened? The Bible says that the ground opened up and swallowed them as the judgment of God. So you got Cain who devised his own way of worship and despised Abel because Abel worshiped truly. You've got Balaam who encouraged other people to sin for his own sake, for his own popularity, for his own financial gain even. And then you've got Korah who attempted to usurp the authority of Moses and Aaron. God dealt with them all. 
When you speak evil of things that you don't know because you're natural and not spiritual, spiritual truth makes no sense to the natural man. And so the natural man is pursuing not God, but he's pursuing his own fleshly indulgences. He's pursuing his own preferences. He's pursuing his own wishes. He's pursuing his own whims. He's not pursuing the way of God or the will of God. This is all about me. He has essentially made himself his own God. So Jude said, these, speak, these people speak evil of spiritual authority. They speak evil of spiritual things because they don't understand spiritual things. The second thing that he said is they defile the flesh. Now he used a lot of descriptive words there. In that section it talks about um, there's, there's spots in your feast of charity. They're, they were, I believe, partaking of the Lord's Supper with them, but, but Jude said there's, there's spots. They're, they are defiling you by their very presence in your midst. And he got into some very descriptive language about them, but, but all that language can be summarized in two ways. Verse 19, he talked about those that separate themselves. Um, Verse 16 said they, they, they walk after their own lusts. So there's, there's two ways to talk about how they defile their flesh. The first is that they're self-serving. They are self-serving. Even their activities inside the church are for their own personal interest. I want you to just pause and think about some of this for a minute. When inside the body of Christ, you see people who begin to do things and say things that begin to bring about division and dissension and separation within the body because they're serving their own personal self-interest. Jude said, these are the people you need to be careful about. When they have their own lust and they're pursuing those lusts. In fact, I think the descriptive language tells us a bunch they're takers. They don't give, they're taking. And, and, and he gave us language of they're, 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 they're clouds without water. They're trees without fruit. They're raging waves. They're wandering Stars and, and all that descriptive language is, is Jude's way of saying this. They are worthless to the purpose of the church. Because their purpose is not to serve Christ. The purpose is to serve their own self-interest. Um, I referenced this passage of scripture this morning in our, in our debriefing of the marriage encounter. Philippians chapter 2. I, I didn't write it all out, but this is, this is the way that, that Paul has instructed us to behave ourselves in the church. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. That's not, this, this, the church is not about us climbing up over each other. This is not about our own self-interest. This is, this is not about me getting my way above you or you getting your way above me. He said, don't let anything in this church be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. In verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. 
So if the mind of Christ is selflessness, I mean, and Paul went on to explain how selfless he was in that, even in his stooping down to become a servant and be obedient even unto death. If the mind of Christ is selflessness, when when someone in the church becomes self-serving, then they are not pursuing the mind of Christ. Now, I, I, let, me, let me just pause and say this. I think there are times in every Christian's life that if we're not very careful, we can fall over that line and become self-serving. But somebody that has the mind of Christ, somebody that has the spirit of Christ, will be drawn back. They'll be pulled back into that. Wait a minute, this is, I've made this about me and it's not about me, it's about him. Now I can tell you, I've seen this manifest in all kinds of ways in church. I've seen people that didn't get their way, that did everything they could to divide the church because of it. I mean, let's just be honest this morning. I've seen folks in the church that didn't like what was going on. They didn't like that we were building this building, that we were doing this thing. And so they made it their purpose and mission in the church to begin to sow seeds of discord. That ain't, listen, that ain't, Jude said, watch out for people like that. Watch out for them. I've also seen times in this, in this church when we have, and I'm just giving you some four instances, when, when we voted to build a building and somebody said, I don't think that that's something that we ought to do, and, and they, may, they may vote against that, but they will be the first persons in line to come alongside of it and support them because that's what the church decided to do. Now that's spiritual maturity. That's, um, I might have this wrong in the interest of serving the church. I'm going to go along with everybody else. I'm not going to cause ruckus. I'm not going to cause confusion and division. I'm not going to resist this. I'm not going to fight against it. I'm going to go alongside it and support it because we are the body. And the body doesn't fight itself over especially non-essential issues. And so when you see people in the church that are defiling the flesh, they are being, they are first of all being self-serving. They're about getting their own way. And then the second thing he mentioned there is that they're sensual. I've already mentioned it in some ways, but they are in pursuit of that that appeals to their own fleshes, uh, their own flesh, their own senses, the lust of the eyes, um, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Now listen, we all like things. We all like things that taste smell, that taste good, that smell good, that feel good. All that. That's what sensual means. But spiritual people are checked. They don't let that govern their life. Listen, I like things that smell good. I like things that taste good. I like things that feel good. But there are lines that I can cross that will bring shame and reproach to me and to the body of Christ as a whole. I don't cross those lines to fulfill those passions of my flesh. I enjoy the good gifts of God in moderation. I do it according to God's dictates. Paul said people that defile the flesh don't have any boundaries in that regard. They go outside of it to fulfill those lusts of the flesh. Spiritless people are driven by the lust of their own flesh. I don't know if y'all hear me. But people who don't have the Spirit of God don't care that God has restricted sexual activity to a marriage between a man and a woman. And, and, and listen, because they don't have any, they don't have any spiritual boundary. They will fight you over that. You don't have any right judging me. I'm not judging you. The word of God says flee fornication. Fornication is sex before marriage. Adultery is illicit sex outside of the marriage. Flee fornication. That's Bible. That ain't me. That's God's word. 
But people that don't have the spirit are so full of their own sensuality and so full of their own self-interest that they'll take what God designed for the marriage anywhere that they want it to go because they don't have the spirit of God restraining them in that. I'm telling you, that's dangerous. That's a dangerous attitude to let creep into the church. Because pretty soon you've got something that don't look anything like the body of Christ. Verse 15. Man, you can tell Jude is at, literally, he is, you can see the passion that he has in this whole, he sees the, the whole mission and ministry of the church being corrupted by these people. And, and what he said in verse 15 is that Enoch told us about people like this. And in verse 15, he used the word ungodly four times. Go back through that text. He said, God is going to come and execute judgment upon all and convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Listen, Jude said, God told us about this through Enoch and that's a, a topic for another day. But Jude said, God is going to judge the ungodly that are in the churches that are preaching and teaching this filthy perversion and calling it the word of God. God is going to judge them. That word ungodly, it, it is irreverent, it is disobedient, it is to be wicked in word and in deed in the church. And the last thing that he said is they despise dominion. Now this is real, this is related in great deal to that first point. I think there's a little bit that distinguishes them. They despise dominion. That is, they despise. Let me give you some other words to help bring this into a little bit clearer focus. They despise dominion. They defy dominion. They denounce dominion. Now let's talk about the word dominion. It just simply means authority. They despise authority. They defy authority. They denounce authority. What are, who are they doing this to? They're, 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 they're defying, they're, they're, they're um, despising, they're denouncing any authority that goes above and beyond. Listen to me carefully. I want you to get this. They are despising and defying every authority that goes above their own desires. So if you come, if you come to them with the word of God and say, this is what the Bible says, I don't want to hear that. You don't know me. You don't know. And, 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 and you know, the worst thing I ever heard, I know what the Bible says, but you done got off track already. God ain't going to make exceptions for you just because your desire is different than his command. So, so in line with that first point, they reject the apostolic message. The apostolic message. Now, I ain't, when, you, when you hear the word apostolic, we, all, we automatically run to those denominations who call themselves apost apostolic in nature. When, when I talk about the apostolic message, that is the New Testament. They reject the New Testament, especially 
the letters that were written by the apostles. Now, there's a, there's a whole group of people out there today. Just tell me what the red says. I'm just studying the red. You worry about all the rest of it. I'm just going to worry about what's written in red. I think there's even a country song about that. Listen to me. The whole book is written in red. This is the inspired word of God. Jesus is the word of God. It's all his word. It ain't Matthew's word, Mark's word, Luke's word, John's word, Paul's word, Peter's word. It's God's word. But they, re they reject that apostolic message, meaning that they cause division in the church because they deviate from the Bible. The first line of our treaties of faith and practices in this church is that we believe that the word of God is inspired, inerrant, infallible, and unchanging, and is our only rule of faith and practice in the church and in our lives. Jude said, you better be careful about people who come into the church and start steering away from the word. They start, they start despising, defying, and denouncing the authority of, the apostolic message of the Bible. They separate themselves from orthodox interpretations of the word in favor of some new and revised and lax and liberal interpretations of God's word. I've shared this, I think, on Wednesday night. I may have shared it on Sunday morning. But I'm going to tell you again. I, man, I, I done got messed up in some of this, watching these little video clips because I, I, I've watched several of these false prophets just to make sure my blood pressure will still go up when it's supposed to. And, and the algorithms have picked up on it. So now my, anytime I watch a video, it's, you know, they, they put a lot of that on my page. But I heard one of these woke, they call themselves woke. They'll call themselves progressive. A lot of them are flying banners now of even deconstructing faith and ex-evangelicals. And they're still claiming to be pastors and preachers and faith leaders. But I heard this one guy the other day, a woke preacher, who essentially said, this is what he said. And, and, and listen, I'm not, I, you say, preacher, why are you talk so much about sexual sin? Because that's the only one we're trying to justify. Now, there's some people trying to justify killing babies, but other than that, we're not trying to justify murder. We're not trying to justify stealing. We're not trying to justify any of those other things, but we're trying to justify sexual immorality. Whole culture is, and it's, and it's crept into the church. And, and if you listen to these false prophets and preachers, most all of them will eventually steer off into that ditch where they're talking about sexuality. And they're, and they're, 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 they're saying anything's permissible. You just go do your thing. Don't worry about what that says. And this guy, had he, at least I, I'm going to give him credit. He was honest. He said this, which he's wrong in. He said Jesus didn't talk about homosexuality. He did. He reaffirmed what marriage is. He quoted the same passage that God gave to him in Genesis. For this cause shall a man... Leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife and they too shall be one flesh. Jesus said that. He established the boundaries for sexuality and for gender in one verse. He said Jesus didn't mention it. The Old Testament references to homosexuality are about a man raping a boy about non-consensual homosexual sex or promiscuous homosexual sex, they vary in their interpretations of that. But it's not about a monogamous homosexual relationship. And some of them will go so far as to say Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of a lack of hospitality, not because of immorality. 
They take one verse in Ezekiel to prove that in spite of what the New Testament says about it. But that's what this fellow said. And then he went so far as to say this, which uncovers him completely. He said, and as far as the epistles of the New Testament are concerned, the Apostle Paul was a homophobe. He essentially said, the Apostle Paul don't speak with the authority of God. Now the church has accepted the Pauline epistle since, it's in, since Paul got saved. Since people seen the transformation in Paul the persecutor's life to Paul the greatest missionary that ever walked the face of the earth besides Christ. They, they accepted the authority. Peter accepted it. Peter walked with Jesus, the first preacher on the day of Pentecost. And he said in his letters, you need to read what the apostle Paul wrote. Even if it's hard to understand, he got a revelation from God. God gave it to him personally. Jesus, post-resurrection, spoke to Paul and told him what to tell you. You can't, you can't reject Paul. Or you've rejected the apostolic message. Not only do they despise the dominion of that message, they despise the apostolic messenger. They murmur and complain behind the backs of the faithful. They use flattery to gain the favor of others. They look for any way they can and any means that they can to silence the people who speak the truth. Evil speaking and evil doing. Tearing down. Tearing apart. The body of Christ, even from the inside. By turning it against his leadership. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll go, I'll chase a wild rabbit right there and I'm not going to. I've been, a, you, you've heard, some of y'all have, have had to step up and try to defend me. You ain't got to defend me. Just stand on the book. I've been compared to Hitler. I've been compared to David Koresh, a cult leader. Y'all cult followers, whether you know it or not. If, if I ain't preaching from this book, you all run me off today. I'm serious. If, if I ain't sticking with the apostolic message as an apostolic messenger, then you ought to call a special meeting and run me off out of this place tonight. But if you follow Matthew chapter 18, sit down and talk to me first. <laughs> this is happening. This is happening today. It was happening Probably less than 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Probably when Jude wrote this. It's still happening. Jude went so far as to say that these people, for these people, is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. That's, pretty, that's a pretty hard statement to make, ain't it? The blackness of darkness forever. These people who defile the flesh. These people who, who despise authority. Who speak evil of those in authority. Spiritual authority. To them is reserved the blackness of darkness forever.
That's the MO. That's the modus of operate. That's the mode of operation for the ungodly. And I, I got to remind you again and again and again, they are traitors inside the church. And you say, preach already here. I don't know. You better keep your guard down. You better keep your guard up. You better don't let it down. I don't think there's any here now. But they, but listen, they they ain't coming in here busting in the doors, exposing themselves. Jude said they creep in. Paul said about the angel. He disguises himself as an angel of light. He said it is no wonder that his ministers do the same thing. We have to be careful to maintain the integrity, the testimony of the visible church that we're a part of because this could be individuals in any local church. It could be somebody in any local church in our community. You may be hearing some things from your coworkers at work and you, and you get these red flag signals when they start poor-mouthing their preacher and poor-mouthing the message from yesterday and calling him you know, judgmental. These are the catchphrases. Look for them. Oh, he's a judgmental, um, homophobic, bigot, hypocrite. When you start hearing those words being leveled at, at people that are in authority, you better let them ears perk up and say, wait a minute, who am I listening to? Where are they coming from? Are they self-serving? Are they sensual? Are they listening to the word of God? I'm going to tell you, spiritual people will hear hard spiritual truths and receive them. One of the reasons church discipline is so important is because this thing can happen. When, the, when Paul went to the church at, at Corinth in his first letter, he's like, y'all got a mess going on. All this division that's there, all this immorality that's there, all this infighting that's there. I mean, there was sexual immorality going on inside the Corinthian church. And he said, Deal, give that one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that he can be saved in the end and so that he doesn't corrupt the whole body in his rebellion. Romans chapter 6, verse 16, verse 17 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause defenses and divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not the Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly. That's their own senses, their own desires, their own wishes. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Paul said, Watch out for people like this in the church who are sensual, who are serving themselves. Because with their words, they can deceive. Especially those that are not mature. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and verse 11. I wrote unto you an epistle not to keep company with fornicators. And, and because, I'm skipping verse 10 for one reason. Because verse 10 says, you ain't got to go out in the world and judge fornicators. The world's going to act, the unsaved world's going to act like the unsaved world's going to act. That ain't our business. God's going to judge them. If they don't repent of sin like we repented of sin, um, then that, that's their judgment. But what Paul is speaking to is the church. He said, I wrote unto you early not to keep company with, uh, with fornicators. And now he says, I'm clarifying that. I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such and one know not to eat. That's church discipline. 
Don't let them folks take over a church. You sometimes have to separate yourself from people who claim to be something that they're not. It could be individuals in a local church. It could be groups in a denomination. It's important to identify and oppose them before they destroy. It is not loving. It is not loving to allow an intruder into your home um, to tear your house apart, to rip it apart. If somebody tried to come into your house tonight to do damage to your family, I'm sure most of you in this building would take any means necessary to stop them in their tracks before they came into your home and ripped your home and ripped your family apart. When you get people in a denomination, when you get a group inside of a denomination um, that, that, that tries to come in and tear that denomination apart by unscriptural teaching, it is time to step up and call them what they are and deal with them accordingly. You can throw them out of a denomination just as surely as you can throw an intruder out of your house. Let me tell you that the United Methodist Church, God bless uh, the Wesley brothers and the church that they left behind, but they let intruders get into that denomination and they have wrecked it. And now they're having to divide the whole denomination into two different camps. There's nothing kind or compassionate about letting ungodly people rip apart a denomination that has a foundation of truth. And it could be denominations in a kingdom. There's a lot of groups out there that fly a banner of Christianity but who do not hold to the tenets of the Christian faith, do not accept the Bible as the authoritative word of God. And by the way, that's an attempt that's happening in our community right now. I had a meeting with the one church leaders last week whether or not we need to continue our efforts or Scale them back or build on them. And I'm, I, I love the kingdom aspect of one church. I love the fact that it's an answer to Jesus' prayer. But there are some people that want to get involved in it who, I don't, who don't believe the scripture. In some very specific areas, they don't believe the scripture. And so I told them, I'm like, as far as I'm concerned, if these people come in, I'm going out. If they come in, I got to go. Because the Bible tells me not to have, do not have fellowship with unfruitful workness of darkness, but reprove them. And so here's what I said. If they come in, I'm going to have to reprove them. And if I reprove them, it's going to be a firestorm of controversy. And so, you know, if you're going to let them in, then I'm going out. Or if you all want to stand together, we'll stand together and say you can't come in. Now you can call me whatever you want to call me because of that. The Bible doesn't call me to make peace at the expense of truth. It does not call me. To that degree of unity or uniformity. It does not. Jesus said I came not to bring peace but a sword. And the thing that's going to divide me from a worldly, natural, sensual, self-serving mindset is the word of God. It is the sword of the spirit. It's going to cut. It's going to offend. It's going to make people mad. If you're living in error, the truth is always going to be hard to hear. And so I told him, I'm like, if y'all want to keep doing this, then we got we to lay down some specific beliefs that we cannot compromise on. And among those are the sanctity of life and the sanctity of, of marriage and what it involves. And if you can't sign your name on a statement and say we believe that and practice that and live by that, then you can't be a part of what we're doing. If the work is worthy, then the fight is worthy. 
If the work is worthy, then the fight to keep it from being destroyed from the inside is a worthy fight. Is the work that God's doing at Zion Hill Church a worthy work? Is God doing things? Amen, he's doing things. Young people are getting saved. 70 people back there in, 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 in Tuesday night teens. Folks been baptized. Folks joining the church. Folks walking away from a life of sin. For people's lives. If this is a worthy work, then it's worth contending to keep it pure in the eyes of God by applying the word of God in every way that it's supposed to be applied to our lives, to our membership. People that who side with and defend traitors are traitors themselves. If somebody is aiding and abetting the enemy, then, you, then, then, then you've got to stand against them too. Be careful not to fall into that. Some... I need to quit. I, I, I had a <clears throat> y'all know I went off I went off the rails after that first library board meeting and said some things I shouldn't have said. I took responsibility for that. The, not that I didn't speak truth; it's the way that I spoke it. I spoke it without grace, and I've made apology for that. I wrote a long apology letter, sent it to one individual in particular who was just blasting me and. She didn't receive the apology and still hadn't. But I had some support from some other people who came in and said, I appreciate the tenor of that letter and I stand with you and I do this. But one lady said this. I read a lot of what you write. Some of it I agree with, some of it I don't. And one of the things, she said, I appreciate the letter. I appreciate the apology and the spirit you wrote it in. But she said, on that note, I'm always going to be an ally. Specifically of the homosexual community. I'm always going to stand with them. And always support them. And I don't hate that lady. I ain't gonna, I'm, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to say that she's not a Christian, but I'm going to tell you something. When you start defending people who are walking contrary to the truth, you're not their friend. When you become an ally to people who are walking away from God and contrary to that, you're not their friend. You're just trying to gain their applause. You're just trying to please them. And you ain't got to be uncivil. You ain't got to be disrespectful. I've crossed that line and I made apologies for it. I'm not going to be unkind. Same guy that called me Hitler in a, in a Pharisee, I've shook his hand after then, since then, and been cordial to him and kind to him and carried on friendly conversation with him. I don't hate him. I love seeing him saved. We're going to look next week at, at some ways that we can protect ourselves from falling into these traps. And also possibly save some others along the way. Because ultimately that's our goal. It's not God's will that any perish. Nobody. Not the, not the drunkard, not the drug addict, not the sexually immoral. It's not God's word that any perish. Listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, I think it is. 
and such were some of you. Can I tell you that I was that person? I could have been accused of many of those things. But God did a work in me. And, and, it, and, and, and that work that he did didn't come because I ignored the truth. It's, it came because I believed the truth and repented of my sin and turned to Christ. So we're going to talk about how to protect ourselves and save others. But, but let me close with this. If your life looks like any of that that's been described today, defile the flesh, despise dominion, speak evil of dignitaries, and all that involved, if your life looks like that in any way, Here's the question. Are you convicted by that or angered by it? That, that truth that's come out, has that truth brought about conviction or has it made you mad? Now, ain't nobody know, I know of walked out of here this morning, so I'm assuming none of you are mad with me. I haven't thought anything yet. But see, the, the evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in somebody's life is when they don't get angry about the truth, but when they get convicted. And then there's the opportunity to be delivered from the error, to be made right with God. I'm going to dig into this a little bit later, probably next week, as our musicians come. Isn't it a cool story? This is a, in, the, in, the, in the story of the Apostle Paul, one of the coolest stories ever. I mean, this dude was killing Christians. He was the arch enemy of the church. When God sent Ananias to him, he said, do you know what that guy's been doing? And, and, and God said, he's a chosen vessel. I've got my hand on him. I'm going to deliver him, raise him up. Ain't it a cool story when the, when the, when the traitor, when the, when the treasonous traitor, when the enemy flips the script and becomes the good guy? Don't we love movies like that? Y'all don't like the Grinch? Y'all remember how the story ends? I mean, Grinch hated everybody, was tearing everything. And then the Grinch had a miraculous conversion at the end. We gravitate towards those stories of redemption. Terminator 2. I mean, he's the, he's the protagonist. He's, the, he's, he's out to kill that baby in that first one. And, in, and, and two, he's the defender. That's a cool story. That's redemption. Ebenezer Scrooge. Wouldn't give a man a penny at the beginning and give away his whole inheritance at the end. Can I tell you that every person in this room this morning has a redemption story that you were one time the enemy of Christ, that you were set against Him, that you were dead in sins and trespasses, that you were walking according to the prince of the power of the air, the same spirit that's still working in the children of darkness, but God, who is rich in His mercy, um, that has loved us with that everlasting love, has redeemed us by grace we're saved. So now those of us who were once out the enemies of the cross, I've now become his crusaders. That's redemption. That's what he specializes in. And listen, he'll do that for the most wicked among us. I was the chief of sinners. I don't never forget that. I don't hate the sinner. But that sin will destroy them just like it was destroying me. Truth sets men free. Truth. Not love, not acceptance, not tolerance. Truth. 
Let's stand together. God, I thank you for these people. I preach hard and they receive it. They encourage me. They support me. We're not perfect. Never have we claimed to be. But we're going to do our best to follow your word. To preach it and to practice it in our lives every day. Not to make excuses when we fail, but to acknowledge it and repent of it. Lord, there's a world around us, even, even a church world around us, that's compromising more and more every day. The enemy is at work, and we need to be ready to stand against him. God, if there's a person here this morning that's been convicted of sin, then that's the evidence that your Holy Spirit is at work. And this is their opportunity, literally, to flip the script to become a new creation in Christ Jesus. To turn away from the old and to turn to a brand new life. And every true Christian in this building this morning has had that experience. So they don't have anything to be embarrassed or ashamed of. They just need to come and lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. So have your will and your way in this time of invitation. Lord, I, I pray that we as Christians in this in this wicked and adulterous generation that we live in. I pray you'd help us to shine like lights so that the lost can be saved. Whatever makes manifest is light. Whatever exposes evil is light. Help us to be light. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.